0: Today's uh, New Testament, uh, Luke chapter eight. It's a well-known story. It's a short story. Uh, it's Jesus when he calms the storm, and hopefully there's something in that that all of us uh, need to either hear for the first time or need to be reminded about. Excellent, including excellent. myself. I didn't ask you this, kid, So what, uh, we'll jump backwards. That was what? What is your specialisation like? you, You're at college. What do you lecture there? And you've done something recently. You've done your um, doctorate, or you're in yep. the process of doing? Yep, that? Finished, yeah, finishing. Yeah. Uh, so I teach Old Testament. Uh, we, I do the survey, the survey course, sort of Genesis through uh, Samuel. But the ones that I specialize in are the Book of Ezekiel and the Book of Psalms. So I, I teach those to second and third year students. Fantastic. Yep. Uh, so if you want any questions on the Old Testament, have a talk to Luke. Ah, uh, kid. Oh, Luke. Luke, well, Luke, yeah, he's pretty good too. <laughs> It's just that you look so much similar, you know, same age. Yeah, um, yeah Have a chat to, to Kit, that will be great. Uh, he specialises in that area too. But uh, today we've got him speaking on Luke, uh, chapter 8. Uh, but we're going to read from the Old Testament first, Psalm 93. And Hamish is going to read that for us and then uh, Kit can take over. The Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed in majesty and his arm with strength. The word is firmly established. It cannot be moved. Your throne was established long ago. You are from all eternity. The seas have lifted up, O Lord. The seas have lifted up their voice. The seas have lifted up their pounding waves. Mightier than the thunder of the great waters. Mightier than the breakers of the sea. The Lord on high is mighty. Your statues stand firm. Holiness adorns your house for endless days, O Lord. Well, it is nice to be here today. Uh, Enjoying Evan's head, looking forward to uh, some surfing and fishing and hanging out with friends. One holiday I took many years ago was to, um, to Alaska. I had the opportunity to go to Alaska when I was uh, studying overseas in, in America. And I went over there for a month with one of my friends. Uh, and it is an, an incredible place. The, the pictures, the movies don't do it justice. It's literally a place where you um, feel the expression, it's jaw-dropping, um, physically. I remember waking up one morning we just finished a week-long hike, and I was so tired I didn't really realise where, um, where we'd camped. And I woke up, and I remember just looking up and looking up, looking up, and I caught my jaw just hanging below me because it was a mountain, a snow-capped mountain, and I was standing on the edge of the ocean. And, and it was basically, it just fell straight in, and I was on this little grassy strip camping at the edge of this massive cliff. Despite all its beauty in Alaska, though, uh, it is one of the places where I have been... Um, one of the few places where I've been terrified on a continual basis. Often we get scared from time to time, uh, but it's, it's, it's harrowing, isn't it, when, when your fear goes on for hours and hours. Uh, that is just something of a nightmare. And uh, my story actually isn't about that, but that, that's, my, uh, that's my hiking story where we were hiking in the midst of grizzly bear country. And uh, we survived, obviously. But there were some, um, some bears in the, in the vicinity that were tracking us at the time. But one moment where I was particularly afraid wasn't um, on the trail hiking with bears. It was actually on a bus. We were in the Denali National Park. And Denali National Park, you can go in for a day trip. It takes about three hours on a bus ride. And you, you take it out on this. There's no roads. It's just a, a mountain trail that the bus goes out on through the national park. Um, and it's, it's really a, a very narrow road. And it's a very steep mountain and it's it's a few hundred feet down into the valley. And on the way out it was fine, no problem. On the way out they drive on the the right side of the road and so you're hugging the cliff the whole time. And then you see a bus come the other way. And you think, oh, that's going to be interesting. So if it meets us on the corner, we pulled over and basically touched the wall of the mountain and they just edged past millimetres from our bus to get around. And you're thinking, I have to do that on the way back. And sure enough, at the end of the day, we're driving back, and we just happen to meet the other bus coming the other way, and it happened to be on the corner, and that bus stops right against the side, and our bus starts edging around, and I'm on the outside seat next to the window, and I'm telling you, it's it's hundreds of feet down, and I couldn't help it, but I had to look. So I'm squeezing up against the window, thinking probably shouldn't be leaning this direction, but... (laughs) As I get my face to the glass, I can't see the road. I have no idea how many inches or centimeters there were left, but all I could see was sheer drop for hundreds and hundreds of feet. And I'm thinking to myself, the driver does it every day. The driver does it every day. (laughs) It's not his first summer. It's not his summer job. This is an experienced driver. We're in America for goodness sakes. They do this properly for sure. They've got to make sure their drivers are trained and they do this every day and we'll be okay." But you're out of control, aren't you, when you're a passenger in a bus? It's a bit like our fear of flying. You're not the person behind the wheel. You can't just pull over. You're at the mercy of the person driving. Fear. Out of control. Complete trust in someone who you don't really know, but you just are assuming that they're professional and they know what they're doing. It's going to be okay. Well, this was the, uh, this was the context for the story that we find ourselves in today, we're going, to see a, we're going to meet a bunch of professionals who are out one night fishing. Well, they weren't fishing this time, but they're fishermen, Then they're out one night, and they're traveling across the Sea of Galilee. Let me read the story to you. One day Jesus said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat and set out. As they sailed, he fell asleep. This is Luke 8.22. A squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped, And they were in great danger. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. He got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waves. The storm subsided and all was calm. Where is your faith? He asked his disciples. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, Who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. Absolutely petrified out of control. Even though uh, trips to Alaska, and I reminisce on that trip as one of the, the most beautiful places I've been to, as one of those places where there was continual fear. This was a very short period of time where I was afraid and we got around the corner okay. But it's often the case, isn't it, that your life for periods of time feels this way. I don't know many of you very well. I know some of you and I'm getting to know some of you and that's been great over the last couple of years. But there are times in my life and times in everyone's life where things seem like they're out of your hands. Things seem out of control. And you're afraid. I'm afraid. This story is going to remind us today that, that we can always, always trust in Jesus. We can always trust in Jesus. It's going to give us two reasons. It's going to give us two re- There's two reasons in this story that we can always trust in Jesus. Jesus, interestingly, asks the disciples to get into the boat. He tells them, let's, let's go out and set sail tonight. Let's go through the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And, and you don't know whether he knew the storm was coming or not. But he quickly goes to sleep, doesn't he? That's the very next scene. Jesus gets in the boat and he just goes down below deck. It's not a very big boat. I've seen something, uh, it's probably, I don't know, maybe from here to the wall and maybe this wide. They're not particularly large boats, 20 foot, and he's just under the deck. But these are professional fishermen. These guys spend their lives on the Sea of Galilee fishing. But a squall comes up, a a fierce storm arises, and the Sea of Galilee is surrounded by by hills and, and mountains, and, so you, and they didn't have the Bureau of Meteorology radar to watch the storm tracker coming. Uh, they just go out and it's night time. They can't see the clouds. And, and these things just happen quickly on the Sea of Galilee. You can't see the, the clouds are over the hills. And, and it's amazing that on this small lake there can be waves so furious that it says they were being swamped. And the they is the people. The boat was being swamped, but the people were being... They're drenched. They're being tossed around. Professional fishermen realising that this is just not going to end well. Their boat is too small. They're out at the wrong time. They're freaking out. They're terrified. Master, master, we're going to drown. They find him sleeping at this point, still, strangely, in the bottom of the boat. Well, we know what happens. It's a quick story, isn't it? He gets up. The boat's probably tossing wildly, and they're being drenched by waves. And he just says, "Stop!" and it stops. And you thought the disciples were scared before. <laughs> this is far more than uh, this is far more significant a story than we probably realize at first. Many of us. Um, are used to looking at weather maps and trying to figure out whether, well, at least those of us of my age and older, we used to scour the, the back of the paper and look at the weather maps and check when the swell was coming. It's all too easy these days. You just go on the, again, the Bureau of Meteorology or SwellNet or Seabreeze and you can tell when the swell's coming, when the storm's up in Queensland and you know there's going to be a big nor'easter swell three days later at Evans Head or another day or two later it'll hit Sydney. And everyone knows, they click on the link, oh, the swell's going to be six foot two days from now. Back 30 years ago, 20 years ago, we used to, you know, have the edge on everyone by being able to read the weather maps. Because we know that a storm hundreds and hundreds of kilometres away, even after it's long gone and dissipated and and beached itself on Queensland's shore and creating havoc, days later, we get two or three days of incredibly large swell down the coast, don't we? Days after the storm's finished. Because that's what storms do. They generate waves. And when the storm finishes... The waves keep marching on. When Jesus says stop and the storm stops, it's one thing, maybe he he just fluked it and got the wind right. Maybe the the storm front just moved past and the the, the fishermen would have gone, oh, that was pretty clever. But they were petrified. They were in fear and amazement. Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Can you imagine being in a boat that's rocking wildly with waves breaching the hole and wind howling so so madly that you can hardly hear yourself talk and this man speaks and the water goes dead calm and the boat just sits there. The wind and the waves stop, stop. It's an impossible story. It's a miracle and they understood it immediately. But it's far more than just a miracle for them. In their mind, for someone to be able to do this meant far more than just being uh, someone who's a magician or someone who's a prophet. Nobody, absolutely nobody, has this power. People are here. Maybe some of you are here on holidays, and you you go to we go to the beach for holidays, and we surf and we play in the river. Uh, Even though these people were fishermen, going to the sea and having a nice uh, swim in the sea is not something that they particularly enjoy doing. For them, for the, for the Israelite, the, the sea was a picture of chaos, a picture of evil, a picture of all the unknown powers in the world. So when you might, you might remember the story in Revelation, those, the, the, the strange images and one of them is this beast and he stands on the sea and what does he do? He summons all the armies of darkness out of the sea against God and His people. It's, it's symbolic of everything chaotic and evil in the world. And so for someone to control the sea this place that epitomizes strength and chaos and things that are out of control. No one can do that. We know the sea is powerful, but for them, it's, it's a picture of everything chaotic and evil. And that's why when you get to the end of the book of Revelation, it says, there was no longer any sea in the picture of the new heaven and the new earth. And I read that for the first time. I remember reading that and going, that's not my heaven I don't think... That's not a place I'm going to. But for the Israelite, it's a picture of all chaos being washed away, everything being stilled, everything being calmed. I'm sure there'll be seas in heaven. For the Israelite on the boat, when Jesus calms the storm, they understood that this was something that only God himself could do. He didn't even pray about it. He didn't say, Lord, Father, calm the storm. Stop these waves and save us. He just speaks and it stops. And they weren't expecting this. They weren't going, Jesus, get up and calm the storm. Get up and make this thing stop. They had no idea who was sitting below the boat. They just knew that he was their teacher and he can't sleep while we're all dying. That's just unreasonable. He's at least got to help, he's at least got to be concerned. But they didn't expect when they woke him up that he was going to speak and actually save them entirely. He has this kind of power. Unexpected. Who is this man? He commands even the winds and the water and they obey him. Luke also gives us another clue that they didn't quite realize who was sleeping below the boat. Uh, if you're reading through Luke's gospel, you'll notice that the way that the, that the disciples speak to Jesus changes from time to time. So here they call him, Master, Master, we're drowning. It's a, it's a polite title, like Sir. Uh, earlier on they've, they've called him this same thing in Luke chapter 5 when they've been fishing all night and they get there in the morning and he goes, go back out. And they're like, we've just been fishing and it's the best part of the night gone and it, now the sun's up and it's hot. But Master, because you say so, we'll go and do it. And they go and do it. You know what happens. They fill the boats up like they're going to break. They're so full. And then Peter falls down before Jesus, and he no longer says, Master, Master, we'll go out because you say so. He says, Depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Something twigged in Peter's head. This isn't just this isn't just a rabbi, this isn't just a teacher, this isn't just a great man. This is someone far, far superior to that. But Peter had forgotten, hadn't he? Peter hadn't fully comprehended who this was. And even uh, this, this journey of faith that Peter and the disciples are going on is, wasn't complete at this point. They'd forgotten and not fully realised who was sleeping below, below the boat. That they could trust him. That they could always trust him. Because he's always stronger. Always stronger. In fact, this is one of three stories in, in, in Luke 8. Uh, First of all, he calms the storm in the next scene, in the next verses. He's going to heal a man who's possessed by demons. It's just another word. He casts them out. And then after that, he's going to raise uh, the sick woman, uh, the dead girl, from. uh, He's going to heal a sick woman and raise a girl from the dead. He's going to have power over the ocean, power over the demonic world, and power over death itself. They're on a journey trying to figure out who this man is that they're following. Many of us have um, walked with Jesus for quite some time, I imagine. Many of us here have been walking with Jesus for many, many years. Some of you uh, may have only been walking with Jesus for a little while and there might even be people here who aren't sure whether they want to walk with Jesus. They're still sort of like the disciples, checking him out a little bit. This story is a reminder that no matter where you are, you have to remember and be assured that you can always trust him. He's always stronger. He's always stronger. For those of us who have been walking with Jesus for a long time, that's, I think that's, um, it's just as important and, and often even more difficult to remember. I'm not sure what, what else you think is stronger in your life than Jesus, but there is nothing. Maybe you think it's your work situation that has you trapped, your boss. Your finances, something like that. That has control of your destiny. Your future is in the hands of this circumstance. No. Jesus is stronger. Maybe it's a long term sickness that you're dealing with. Well, no. Luke 8 reminds us that Jesus is stronger. Maybe it's uh, struggling with broken relationships. And we all do that from time to time, don't we? Jesus is stronger. Maybe it's the fear of your future, the fear of death, or the fear for for your family, those things that we, we care about the most, that we don't really have control over. Jesus is stronger. This is probably the most difficult thing, isn't it? To just trust Him. Trust Him when things seem out of control. And this is what the disciples, they had this very same difficulty. Things were so far out of control. They didn't look like Jesus was in control at all. I mean, he's asleep and the storm's raging and they've been fighting it for a little while and they're going to drown. It doesn't get much more out of control than that. For all appearances, there was nothing he could do and he wasn't in control, wasn't even aware that that they were in trouble. but he is in control. and This is the second reason. He's not only stronger than whatever we're facing, not only stronger than whoever you think has control over your life, but he's always in control of it. He's always in control. And this is perhaps the hardest thing as people walking with Jesus, to remember and to trust him despite your life feeling like it's out of control. We can all have we all have stories stories uh, like this unfortunately because we live in a broken world full of uh, disease and disappointment and sin and brokenness we've been praying at our church for um, a few months for a family that just lost their seven-year-old daughter and we've been praying since April it was out, it was un- it was um, unexpected she had a tumor on her brain stem that they just she stopped swallowing properly one day and they did some tests and it was inoperable. So the whole church is praying and the whole community is praying and my kids are praying. And things seem like they're out of control, don't they? Those moments when you think, God, God's in control, surely we can trust him here. And uh, it wasn't... It wasn't um, Too many months later, it was only uh, two or three weeks ago now that we went to that funeral and committed her to the Lord. And she was a great girl of incredible faith, so there's great joy in knowing that she's now with Jesus and Jesus is stronger than death. There was a reason I wasn't going to bring that story up, just sort of happened. Should stick to my notes, really. Really? But now her family, her parents are walking this journey, aren't they? That Jesus can be trusted. That he's stronger than death. That he's stronger than their pain. Uh, I heard that some of your um, congregation or someone else is in Nepal. Who's in Nepal? Your daughter's in Nepal. I was there last year in September. And uh, it's a really, it's a really uh, confronting place, I found. I was there teaching at a Bible college. Um, and I was woken every morning, staying with friends of mine uh, who run the Bible college over there. And every morning you're up to bells ringing all over the place. But there was one right outside our backyard, basically, on the street. Uh, there's incense burning all over the city, and that's at least okay because it covers the stench of the rubbish, which is all over the city. You can put the rubbish out if you want to, but it doesn't get collected. And if it does, it just literally gets walked down to the river, and they just dump it in the river. So there's a big part of the river that's mostly covered in rubbish. It's just got a little channel through the rubbish that eventually cuts it away and sends it to India, and it's their problem. But you you may as well just throw it on the ground because it'll blow to the river anyway. No point getting someone to carry it there for you. So the place stinks, but the the, the incense makes it smell a bit better. Um, And the incense is all there because they're praying to their gods. They're burning incense to try and get their gods to listen and pay attention. They, They get up every morning and they go to the little shrines that they've built on the side of the roads and they ring the bells. Wake up. What are you doing? Will you listen to my prayers today? Smell my incense. Here's my food offerings. No certainty that their God's in control, that their God has the power, that their God's going to listen to them. What an incredible privilege it is to know that no matter what we're going through, the person who's with us can always be trusted. He's always in control, and he's always stronger. Thanks.